They say that familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. Now, what does that mean? The idea is that the more you know of something, the more you see something, the more familiar you get with something or someone, sometimes instead of growing to respect them more, you respect them less. I was thinking of that this week as... This last week as, as we were in Mexico and seeing these sites. I mean, Tabitha and I would literally just stand there and just stare at the beauty that was around us. The ocean and the waves and, and the rocks that were outcropping into the sea and the desert. The, the Cabo region is effectively desert. It's south of California on the Baja California Peninsula. And, and we were just blown away. We're just standing there looking at the sights and the sunrise in the morning and the sunset at evening. We just couldn't get enough of it. And then we kind of stopped for a minute. We said, what would it be like to live here? And the people that just drive back and forth every day, I get the sense that they just kind of yawn and say, well, yeah, there's the sea again. They see it every morning, not a big deal. I guess it's pretty, but I don't really think about it much anymore because I see it every day. Familiarity breeds contempt. I had a a recollection of when I was growing up and when we would be on vacation, my father would like to try to to add some education to it, so he'd take us to an art museum sometimes. And I don't know if you have ever been a child going to an art museum. You know, I was fine being back at the place playing tennis. That was, I, that was where I was comfortable being. And, you know, if you've ever been to an art museum, have you ever been to that place where you've seen like five or six paintings by these brilliant artists, and you say, okay, I've seen them all. Like, they're, they're, they're nice ones, but now that one looks like that one, and that one kind of looks like that, and it's all the same. And then you say, where, is there a phone? I, where's, where's my smartphone? Can I, can I check Facebook or something? Now, I'm not saying you, you are very cultured, of course, people. You would never have that approach to the world of fine art. Um, but I'm just saying, hypothetically, someone who has familiarity uh, might ultimately grow a little bored. Now, I start here because as we pick back up Mark chapter 7, as we're going through this wonderful gospel together, we're here at another miracle. Another miracle. And we've seen so many miracles so far in this gospel. It seems like Mark is just telling us one story after another of the miraculous power of Christ. And I wonder if if you're starting to get a little bit familiar. Oh, here's, here's another miracle of Jesus. I've seen some like this before. You know, we can come to our Bibles and we can come to these passages that we're so familiar with that we don't allow them to sink down and really affect the way we feel. We just say, oh, I've read that one before. Okay, let's, let's get to the next one. And I want to tell you this morning, I want to warn you as we go through Mark together and as you read your Bible in the mornings or in the evenings or whenever your time is or when you're studying in our Bible studies, don't get familiar. Keep on coming back to it like you're reading it for the first time. Keep on reading it like you heard it the first time and say, it's true. This happened. What is Jesus really like? And here in this story, there are two things 
that should cause us to step back and say, this is not just like any other miracle. The first thing is about who this miracle was for. We have seen, not exclusively, but almost exclusively, Jesus' miracles being performed for people who were Israelites or with Jewish ethnic heritage. And here we see that the woman who's receiving the miracle is not a Jew. She's a Syrophoenician. We'll learn a little bit more about that. So the very first thing that should step us back and say, whoa, is that this is not the ordinary recipient of the miracle. But the second thing that should step us back, make us step back and say, wait, stop, time out, is to see one of the most shocking responses that Jesus makes in the entire gospel record. When you think of Jesus, you think of a man of compassion, of a man of gentleness. Anyone coming to him, he had time for. We've been seeing it over and over. He stayed up late at night to heal anyone who came by him. And now here is a woman, a foreigner, a a, a non-Jew, whereas Jesus is in a non-Jewish area. And she's saying, heal my daughter. My daughter needs to be delivered from this demonic oppression that she's under. And we see Jesus giving this shocking response to her. Listen to what he says. If you have your Bibles, I hope you'll have them open with us to Mark 7 and verse 27. Mark chapter 7, the second gospel in the New Testament, right after Matthew and right before Luke. But Jesus said unto her, let the children first be filled. For it is not meat, it's not fitting, it's not appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. Have you ever heard Jesus speak like this to someone who is coming to him for help? It's not fitting, he says, to give it to dogs. Now, was this an insult Was this someone who was on a foreign vacation by the sea? I I kind of identified with that passage. That part of it, I'm I'm not going to lie. And just is going to say, all right, I don't really have time for you. Or is there something more going on? There's something more going on. What I want to say this morning is that there is not only in this story a wonderful picture of who Jesus is and who this woman is in her faith. There is a wonderful picture of who you are in Christ Today, The title of the message this morning is Food at the Table. Food at the Table. We're going to use this picture that Jesus gives of children sitting around the table and the right use of the food at the table to, I hope, teach us today about who we are and about what this woman received from Jesus. Let's break this into three parts as we normally do. The first thing we'll look at is this woman's request. The second thing we'll look at is Jesus' very shocking response. We don't expect that from Jesus, but here it is. And the third thing we'll look at is this woman's reception of the food from the table. And ultimately, we'll look at how we receive food at the table in our own lives. The first thing is the request. Let's start with the context, as we always do. What's going on in Mark chapter 7? Well, if you think back to several weeks ago, Jesus is again having a controversy with the Pharisees. 
And the Pharisees are nitpicking, as they always do. And this time they're saying, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? And this was not about washing the dirt off their hands. It wasn't about physical washing. It was the idea that the Jewish people would wash their hands for a moral cleansing, a ritual ceremonial cleansing. It was like I'm washing the dirt of sin off my hands. And Jesus has to just completely undermine their entire theory here, their entire tradition on this way. He says it's not about what comes into you that makes you dirty. It's not like, oh, I have to wash my hands or some sin might enter in my mouth. He says, no, it's what comes out of you that defiles you. That's what makes you dirty. It comes from your heart. Your heart has its own pollution, its own source of wickedness, and that is where you need to start. And he goes on then to comment on their entire system of traditionalism, the way they had always done things that caused them to miss the very purpose of what God had wanted all along. As we understood, that same temptation is for all of us, even us today, to turn to a kind of traditionalism that ends up undermining the very spirit, the very heart of what God has been looking for in loving him supremely and loving others selflessly. And now Jesus leaves. Look at verse 24. And from thence, from that sermon, if you will, he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it. Now, if you're just a little bit of geography, from the Sea of Galilee, the city of Tyre is northwest and it's about maybe, say, 30 miles. I've seen some estimates between 30 or 35 miles um, to the northwest on the Mediterranean Sea. And then even north of that, another 20 or so miles would be Sidon, also on the sea. So Jesus leaves his homeland, his area of Galilee. He goes outside the borders of what would have been Israel, and he goes into Tyre and Sidon, two kind of seaside towns. He was going on a foreign vacation, if you will. Now, he goes into a house, and he didn't want anybody to know it. This was going to be apparently a time of rest. It was going to be a time where perhaps special focus on his disciples. He would be teaching them, and he, and he said, I just want to be alone with my disciples in this house. Because you knew before that Jesus had a hard time finding a quiet place. These crowds were just continuing to flock to him. But notice what, how verse 24 ends. But he could not be hid. Now we could preach a whole sermon expounding on this phrase. Isn't it a wonderful thing that the light of the world cannot be hid? Isn't it a wonderful thing that even today, no matter what our government tries to do, no matter what totalitarian governments around the world try to do, Jesus will not be hid. The light of the world will not be covered up entirely. Jesus is continuing to call men and women to him across every country, across every language, across every barrier that man can construct. Praise God for that. He could not be hid there. Because why? Notice, a certain woman whose young daughter, so someone who is young, who is vulnerable, this young daughter had an unclean spirit. We've looked at that before as a, a sign of demonic oppression in her. 
She was, she was devilishly afflicted by demonic spirits. She, this woman whose young daughter had this spirit, heard of him and came and fell at his feet. Now, if you would have gone back to Mark chapter 3, you might have remembered that we talked previously about people from Tyre and Sidon hearing of Jesus and coming to him. So Tyre and Sidon has already factored in to this gospel. And so people around that area had heard of him. And so now this woman hears of him. She hears this Jesus of Nazareth, this prophet from Galilee is here. And she says, I got to find him. I know he can make a difference. Well, why? Because she had heard that he'd been casting out demons. She had undoubtedly heard that he had miracle-working power, and this woman in desperation comes and falls at his feet. This is a woman who is completely desperate and who is willing to just simply say, you are my hope. Notice verse 26. The woman was a Greek. The idea here is that she was a Gentile. This was her ethnic background. Now, to the Jews, there were two categories of people. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. And those two did not get along. The Jews hated the Gentiles. They had been oppressed so much by the non-Jewish people, the Gentile people throughout their entire history. And the Gentiles despised the Jews. They thought they were ridiculous. They had no time for them. I mean, these people, if you think that the racial and ethnic conflicts that we see in our day are bad, you should have seen the Jewish and Gentile conflicts of that day. So already Mark is signaling that she was a foreigner. She was an outsider. She wasn't someone who was part of the Jewish people. And then notice what else he says. A Syrophoenician by nation. So now he's talking about her political status. She was from the Phoenician area of Syria, of the region of Syria, and this already, for Mark's non-Jewish readers, they would have understood, oh, okay, I get it. That's that Roman area that's outside of Israel. But there's something interesting. In, Mar in Matthew chapter 15, when Matthew tells us this story, he says, for the benefit of his Jewish readers, remember that Matthew was predominantly writing to Jews and Mark was predominantly writing to Gentiles? Matthew says she was a Canaanite. This tells us what she was historically. Now, you don't have to read very far in your Old Testament to learn what the Jews thought about Canaanites. Do you remember what the Old Testament says? God's command to them was to wipe them out. They were the absolute sworn enemies, the arch rivals of the people of Israel. And Matthew wants to make clear, we know she was a Canaanite historically, not just an outsider, an enemy, Mark tells us she was a Gentile separate from, from the Jews and she was a Syrophoenician outside of the land of Israel. So already she is an outsider and this woman, she besought him, verse 26 says, that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. She is absolutely desperate. This is her request. Notice secondly, the response, the very surprising response that Jesus makes. But Jesus said unto her, let the children first be filled. For it is not meat, it is not fitting to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. 
Now, we need to stop here for just a minute because whenever you see something that is very surprising in your Bible, stop and think. Jesus, from one perspective, is, is just very openly calling her a dog. I have food at my table that I can offer. It is fitting that I should give it to the children and not to the dogs. Now, this just makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Of course that's true. If you are in a home environment, and particularly when you're in a home environment in a time where food was not always common. Friends, we live in an absolutely unprecedented time of human history. You go back throughout all of human history and you are going to see people who were desperate for food supply and that were only a famine short of being going hungry and starving to death. Read the Old Testament about the food shortages that would come and the desperation that would cause mothers to eat their own children. Friend, that's human history. Today, today is unprecedented. The prosperity we have today of the amount of food in our pantries, even for those who are economically struggling oftentimes, the availability of food, the idea that you would take food that sometimes was in short supply and give it to the dogs first, not to your children. Everyone said, well, of course. You feed your children, and if there's leftovers, well, then the dogs can have it. But stop for just a minute, because there's something else going on here. What is Jesus really saying? Well, this is where Matthew's account gives us a little bit more of a clue about what Jesus really is saying. Keep your finger in Mark 7 and turn over to Matthew 15, will you? We're just going to give this for a little bit of context so we can understand what Jesus is communicating here. Notice in verse 22, this woman of Canaan, again, that's what Matthew calls her, Canaanite, came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. What does it mean that she called him a son of David? She was calling him the Messiah. But you say, this woman wasn't even a Jew. You're right. And the Jews didn't even recognize him as their Messiah, by and large. What an amazing thing. A stranger, a foreigner, looks and says, you're the Jewish Messiah. When Jesus' own people failed to recognize him as that so often. What an amazing, amazing woman. She says, my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil, but he answered her not a word. Huh, that doesn't sound like Jesus. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away, for she cries after she's bugging us. Well, that sounds like the disciples. <laughs> Let's be honest. Jesus, that doesn't sound like Jesus, but that does sound like the disciples. Just come on, Jesus, she's being an irritant. Move her along. But he answered and said, now listen to this. I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You see what he's saying? What, who did I come for? I came first for the Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew. He was the promised Messiah of the Jews. And his message to her was, my mission field right now is the Jewish people. And listen to how she responds to that. Then came she and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. She doesn't let that dissuade her. And notice what he said. He answered and said, it is not meat. It is not fitting to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Now go back to Mark chapter 7. What is he saying now in context? 
He's saying, I need to feed the children of the house of Israel first. I don't need to feed the dogs first. I came predominantly right now for the people of Israel as their Messiah. And you say, okay, well, this is just incredibly insulting. And we think in our day and in our culture, there's a certain word, I won't dignify it by saying it, that refers to a dog, is used to refer very derisively to women, and very disrespectfully. That would be an extremely, extremely offensive thing to say. You say, is that what Jesus is saying? Is he trying to insult her? Well, notice something. Notice how she responds to it. Does she take it as an insult? You see, the first thing we don't know about how Jesus says this here, what he intends, is because we can't see his face. We only have the text in front of us. We deal with this in the law all the time. When I was a baby lawyer, we rarely videotaped depositions, or we didn't do it that frequently. A deposition is when you take a witness from the other side, and you put them under oath, and you ask them questions, and someone takes down every word that they say. And so because there was no videotape, sometimes there would be fights between the lawyers. They'd be yelling at each other, they'd be, they'd be bickering, and they'd have to go settle it in front of a judge. So do you know what they would do? They would offer a play-by-play. And it was the most ridiculous thing ever. I mean, it'd be the kind of thing like they'd start arguing, and one of the lawyers would say, let the record show that opposing counsel is now yelling at me. Please t- put your voice down, sir. And the other guy would say, I'm not yelling at you, as he yells at him. And they'd just act like children. Right? And I just, I just shake my head and say, what are, what are we doing? Let the record show that he is now pointing his finger at me. You know, it's just kind of deal like you, you have to make sure the record is, is complete. Well, we don't have a complete record. I'll tell you, I sense, I just have is speculation. I sense that there probably was a little twinkle in Jesus' eye when he said this. There might have been a little bit of a smile at, his, at the corner of his lips. I don't know. But notice the woman didn't take it as an insult. And there's another reason, I think, for that. There are two words in the Greek language to refer to a dog. One word is the word that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, don't give that which is holy to the dogs. And that word has the reference to a big dog that was a scavenger in that day. It was a street dog. It was the kind of dog that would wander looking for garbage and scraps in the street. No one liked that dog. They didn't like the stray dog in that day. But Jesus doesn't use that word. He uses a diminutive word. He uses a word related to that that literally means little dog. The idea is not of a dog that's out that's outside scavenging. The idea is of, of the house dog, of, of the pet. Now, that makes it not perfect, right? None of us still would like to be called even the little dog. But he's using it in a different way. And some of you have pets. I'm, where's my mom? Um, my mom's dog is the child, okay? So if, if, she, if my mom were to call you a dog, know that she would be meaning it like you're her child and her best friend. That's okay. I, but, but for other people, I mean, I'm telling you, I didn't have half the privileges that Minnie had in my mom's house. Um, I'm just kidding. Kind of. What is Jesus saying here? Well, let's stop. And look at what the woman, how the woman takes this. Jesus says to her, 
it's not proper for me to take the children's food that's meant for the children of Israel and to give it to little dogs, the Gentile people like you. And how does her mind work? You see, a proud person would have responded and said, okay, well, I'm done. If I'm not a child, if you're going to call me a dog, well, I'm out of here. Not her. How does she take it? Look at what she says in verse 28. She answered and said to him, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I agree. I'll take on the, 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 the description of a little dog. But... Yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. Now listen to what's going through her mind. Do you see? She knows that Jesus has called her a little dog, a household dog, like a pet dog. And so she says, I'm in the house. To a desperate woman, this was all she needed to hear. He didn't say I was a scavenger outside. He said, I'm under the table. I'm in the house. And so thou, now this desperate woman says, undoubtedly under the influence, I'm sure, the Holy Spirit bringing this um, stirring up faith in her heart says, well, Jesus, at least I can get some crumbs under the table and that's all I need from you, Jesus. I only need crumbs. I don't need the main course. I just need some crumbs and that'll be enough. Now, Matthew chapter 15 says, how Jesus responded to her. And we should just note that he told her, woman, great is your faith. You have a mega faith. You see, what some, what the proud would look like, would take as an insult, this woman took as an invitation. And she said, all I need are crumbs. You see, that's entirely logical. If you've had dogs in your house, I think it's time for a confession quickly. How many of you, when you were children, when there was some kind of vegetable on your plate that you didn't like and you had to eat, slipped it under the table to the dog? Raise your hand right now. Confession is good for the soul. I'm seeing some hands right now. I won't tell your parents. I promise your secret is safe with me. Slip it under the table. The crumbs. We don't have a dog in our house, but we have plenty of crumbs. There's a certain time each year where it's like, oh, when the ants come marching in. I'm just seeing like come in like beating big brass, you know, big bass drums and celebrating with all this food under the table. This woman was saying, I'm willing to be the little dog as long as I'm getting crumbs that are going to take care of my daughter. And listen to what Jesus said. This is the reception, not just the request, not just the surprising response, but then Jesus says to her, for this saying, go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And look at verse 30. And when she was come to her house, Jesus didn't need to go there. His power, his authority over the, the, the satanic world was such that he could just simply speak the word. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. Can you imagine that woman? how much this affliction had weighed on her, a mother's heart for perhaps years, who knows how long, for her to come back and see her daughter completely restored to health by the word of Jesus the Messiah. All she needed were crumbs. And in her humility, there was great faith to say, Jesus, all I need are your crumbs. Now, what does this mean for us this morning, friends? 
in some ways, when we get familiar with a text of Scripture, we stop thinking about how it applies to our life. It just, we've, we've heard it before. How does this apply? I want to suggest just a couple things. The first thing is this. Isn't Jesus amazing? Do you ever stop back if you read these stories and say, I can't believe how wonderful Jesus is. That Jesus would take this woman in her desperation and he would invite her to himself by what would first of all seem like a stiff arm. But he knew he wasn't stiff arming her. He knew that he wasn't insulting her. He was just saying, come on a little closer. Come on in. He was inviting her to see that picture of what he was saying and say, I just need crumbs, Jesus. And Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. You, have, you can just see his smile beaming on her as he said, that's exactly what I was looking for. Your daughter is healed. Friends, never lose this. Never lose this wonder and awe at who Jesus is. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's just as wonderful today as he was 2,000 years ago to this desperate woman. He's just as wonderful for eternity when all of us who are God's people will be gathered around together in heaven. He will be just as wonderful for eternity. You see, when we think about what a new heaven and a new earth is going to be, we so often get so distracted by the things of heaven, the gold streets and the bejeweled walls and the great houses and all these things, and we forget to realize that the greatest thing of heaven will be that Jesus is there. The greatest part of heaven is that in all his wonder, in all his moral beauty, in all his wonderful character, in all his love, he will be there. Do you love him? Just pause for a moment this morning and just express your love to Jesus for how wonderful a character he is to this woman and to you. That's who your Savior is. The second thing, is there something here about faith? Jesus told this woman she had great faith. But remember this, friends. Her great faith was demonstrated in her humility. And do you know you can never separate those two things? Faith and humility? James tells us that God resists the proud. He stiff arms the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you know there's only one thing that whereby we come in faith is by coming in humility. This is the great connection between repentance and faith that we see in the Bible. It is the humility to come with open hands to Jesus Christ and say, I have nothing to bring. I am depending only on you. Friends, do you see today, do you see today that by nature you are a stranger from God's house? That you and I are the little dogs that have no claim on his goodness, on his character. That by our rebellion against him day in and day out, we deserve nothing but his condemnation. We deserve nothing but his judgment. And yet Jesus in his mercy has been willing to give us food at the table. 
This woman is a picture to Jesus' disciples of ultimately what the message of God would be in Jesus Christ. It is a foretaste. It is pointing forward to how Mark chapter 16 ends when Jesus tells his disciples after he has risen, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every person. Here was a woman who was a stranger. Here was a woman who was an outcast. Here was a woman who the Jewish rabbis would have rejected. Do you know the daily Jewish prayer that dated back hundreds of years, perhaps even to this time or shortly thereafter, these Jewish rabbis would wake up daily and say, God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, that I'm not a slave, and that I'm not a woman. I would thank God every day for that, that I'm not a Gentile, that I'm not a slave, that I'm not a woman. And here Jesus is dealing with a Gentile woman and giving her food from the table. What a wonderful truth. But here's the last thing, and this is the thing that has just stirred my heart, I think, the most as I've studied this passage, is to realize that you and I are in one way very like this woman. I don't see a lot of people here, maybe one with some Jewish heritage, but Not a lot. Do you know we are like this woman in so many ways? We are the little dogs that had no claim on God's fulfillment of his promises through Abraham, that through Abraham, through his seed, through the Jewish people, God would bless the entire world. We weren't part of that seed. We weren't part of that ethnic DNA, of that heritage. And yet there's one way in which we're very different from this woman. This woman said, yes, Lord, I'm willing to be a little dog. Just give me the crumbs. But what about you? Friends, the glory of what Jesus has done for you is what Galatians 3 tells us. It says, for we are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Do you know that the message of the gospel is not that you're a little dog, who needs to to beg for crumbs. That in Jesus Christ, he has pulled a seat at the table for you and said, sit down. The feast is for you. You know, some of us act like we are little dogs. We see our failures day in and day out. We see how often we mess up. We see how often we let God down. And we say, I can't possibly pull up a seat to the table. Let me just take scraps. And, and, and we, we scrounge and we beg. And then we say, oh, I can't ask God for forgiveness. I've messed up again way too much. And then we see in the Bible that Jesus is saying to us, no, there's a seat at the table My food is not for you to scrounge for crumbs. My food is to be given to you liberally at the table. This is why the book of Hebrews says that because Jesus is such a merciful high priest, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That doesn't mean coming up with slumped shoulders as if we can't possibly imagine that God could be pleased with us in Christ. No, that means coming boldly and taking the food at the table that he has provided to you as a son or a daughter in Jesus Christ. You're not a little dog, friend. If you're in Jesus, you're a child. There's a place at the table. And so this morning, come boldly. Come boldly. You say, I have things that I need. Don't act like God doesn't care. Pull your chair up to the table and start talking to him about it.
You say, I've messed up again. You don't understand, Pastor, what I've done this week. I've failed in ways that have humiliated myself that I'm ashamed of. Pull your chair up to the table and confess it. And we know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, I don't feel like I can grow in my Christian life. I don't, I don't know that there's enough power in God to overcome my besetting sins, my habits that have been so deep-seated that I've been struggling with so long. Friend, pull your chair up to the table. Jesus is the bread of life. You say, I, I don't know that I can ever find contentment in my spiritual life. I don't know that I can ever find the joy that other people have in Jesus Christ. I don't, I'm just not there. Pull your chair up to the table. Jesus said the bread of life is to feed those who will never need to be hungry again. Pull your chair up to the table. Don't act like a little dog. In Jesus Christ, he has invited you to the feast. He is the bread of life. He offers you to come to his table. Friends, these stories of Jesus Christ are not meant for us to just simply scan by They're meant for you to grow in your love for Jesus about how wonderful he is. And they're for you to dig into its truth to realize that that Jesus is your Jesus, that he has invited you into the family of God and that you can sit at his table and feed on his all-satisfying food today. I hope that you'll take the food from Jesus' table.